My next guest is Don Lipstein with Tragedy Assistance Programs for Survivors, or TAPS is the acronym, and that he's the surviving father of Navy Master at Arms to Joshua Lipstein, who died by suicide in March 2011 following his second deployment to Iraq. Don's son, Joshua, was among the first to volunteer for duty as a riverine patrolling the waterways in Iraq. Josh served two combat deployments to Iraq. He left behind a wife and a young baby. Don knew his son was in trouble and was actually um, uh, trying to help him at the time of his death. Don was the last person with whom his son ever spoke. Don coordinates peer mentoring for TAPS, suicide survivors. Moreover, he matches those newly mourning a military suicide with those who lost a loved one and are farther along in the grieving process. It is important to have Don on today so that we can have him share in his knowledge about trauma, this trauma, so that we can gain a better understanding for those in our midst. Don Lipstein comes to us today from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show, Don. Thank you for having me, Claudia. Well, before, Don, we engage in the interview, let me please take stock of your grief in losing Joshua, and then I want to honor how far you have come in dealing with this grief and helping others cope. I know that, yes, I know how forthcoming you are in talking about your deeply personal loss, Don. Would you please tell us about your son Joshua's circumstances after his second deployment in Iraq? Uh, Sure, and and it's a long story. I won't uh, take up much time with that, but he basically came home with um, a tumor uh, that was uh, it was making it difficult for him to hear out of his right ear. After a um, very long surgery, which was successful, uh, he was no longer able to perform the duties that uh, that he was doing prior to, which. Um, Included you know, carrying weapons, so he was he was uh, stationed um, monitoring security cameras and sitting at a desk, uh, and uh, this just wasn't what he had signed up to do. He didn't want to be doing that. So uh, uh, that, along with uh, wanting to be home with his wife and child, and uh, in Texas, and then his mother uh, also a month prior to uh, Joshua taking his life. His, his mother, my ex-wife, died uh, from cancer that she had been suffering from for about three or four years. So all, all of that uh, led up to uh, the stresses that uh, caused him to decide that he would be better off uh, dead. And so, Don, you've talked then about there were so many confounding factors uh, that he wasn't able to be with his newly born son that could have been a a sort of a a process of nurturing for him to engage in that might have been an antidote to his his, uh, displacement uh, in transitioning back to civilian life. 
his uh, lack of gainful employment with the Navy upon his return, his lack of the support of his wife. He was not living in his uh, home with his wife, and he was at the base there in, back in Virginia, correct? Was, was it Norfolk? or? Um... It, it was, yes, Norfolk. Oh, so it was there that... Um, so, so many confounding factors. And then uh, an additional one, which we want to uh, uh, take some time about discussing here, is the fact that within the military, there still is a tremendous stigma about mental illness and what um, what is the military's role in that. So could you talk a bit about that huge barrier for for Joshua getting the right kind of, of fit? It was difficult. Uh, yes, it was. And, and, you know, he had a lot of stressors. Um, he was suffering from depression, suffering from anxiety, and decided that self-medication uh, would help him. And, and it, you know, in his mind, it was helping, but the substance abuse was certainly uh, an, another factor um, with his uh, you know, taking his life. So, uh, and, and there, I think the military, they teach um, their recruits to be tough and to withstand a lot of pain. And to then try to reach out and ask for help, I think, is very difficult for a lot of our, our soldiers, our military personnel, to be able to do comfortably. I think some of them also fear that their jobs may be in jeopardy if they were to speak out and, and say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm struggling here. Uh, they also may feel the stigma uh, of, you know, being looked down upon or, or possibly losing some of the, the uh, privileges that, that they may have. Um, so uh, there's a lot of issues that, that surround that for them. And the, another confounding factor was that he was in a bind that he couldn't be discharged until he had uh, dealt with... A, the the re all the rehab situation, but but dealing with that rehab situation wasn't workable in the kind of a social professional vacuum he was in. So it was you. I'm sure you were absolutely, uh, you know, um, riveted to uh, in in a horrified way how to get out of this bind. Help him get out of the bind he was in. Yes, and and I didn't realize until. Um speaking to him on the phone uh, just before he uh, decided to uh, take his life, I didn't realize how, how bad it was. Um, and, and, you know, he uh, didn't want to share those kinds of things with me. He shared uh, the good stuff. Uh, and that, I think, again, is part of the stigma and, and part of the... Um, the issue that he dealt with and and so many of our military people are dealing with that they don't want to uh, let their loved ones know what's going on um, so it's kind of hidden uh, and again that's the stigma for those of you who are joining ask a leader yes for those of you who are joining ask a leader at this time it's my honor and privilege to have with us Don Lipstein, peer mentor, coordinator 
of uh, tra- at Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. We'll call it TAPS from time to time. He's a surviving father of Joshua Lipstein, who served in the Navy, who took his life in March 2011. Um, this is Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and on the web at KUCI.org. Well, one one kind of a refrain that uh, it comes up in, in the coverage of uh, PTSD is that the military, it, it's trained men and women for war, but they've never untrained them for normal life. And you saw that happening, and you keep seeing that happening as you're reaching out to new survivors of suicides in the military. Yeah, I think they, they um, have a very lonely feeling uh, after they've deployed and, and spend time with their comrades. Um, and then they come home and, you know, they're, 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 uh, they feel a little lost because their regimented routine that they may have had while they were over there deployed uh, is no longer um, the same. It's changed. Um, I think they also feel like they're letting people down uh, by expressing um, their and their experiences of depression and anxiety and and stress. That they they don't want to let their um, you know their their guys that they uh, went to battle with. They don't want to let them down, so they're they're holding it all in. And and yes, and, that, and our military, you know, it rightfully so. We we train train them to be tough, to be uh, resilient, and uh, but but we don't train them how to uh, integrate back into society. And so it's not, it's not just the. Um the uh, routine and the regimentation, but I think there there's a certain kind of a, a, an intensity that doesn't uh, present itself in civilian life. That uh, get, you know is the the as the other aspect that they're they're seeking. Right. Did Joshua talk about that? You know, Joshua. I think part of his uh, deal was that he had these goals. He had a he had in mind that he wanted to do a twenty year. Um, career in the Navy, and then when he got out, he was going to either join the FBI, CIA, or NSA mm-hmm. and serve our country that way. Um, when his tumor affected his hearing, and, and it was a permanent hearing loss, uh, the uh, his whole um, his whole career, he thought, went down the tubes with that. And so he was kind of lost. He just didn't um, have the same, like, he didn't know what he was going to be doing. He once had no he plan. Of- right. No plan at all. Right. He, he, you know, he was trying to figure it out, I, at least I thought, but, um, but all of his dreams kind of went down, down the tube. Well, I, I want, as we're talking about your own personal story, that um, it's... Uh, you have been amazingly uh, able to, I think, uh, in some ways, redeem this loss with uh, your involvement. You found TAPS. Let's talk about first how how TAPS seemed to be the right fit for you surviving, Joshua. Well, I, I've experienced uh, grief 
prior to Joshua dying. Um, when my mom died, uh, it hit me kind of hard. And so I, I did a lot of reading and I did a lot of research. And one of the things I, I found out was that in grief, you, you have to face it. You can't run from it. You have to face it, and uh, it will catch up to you if you don't just deal with it. So I knew right away uh, when Joshua died that I was going to have to reach out for some, some help. Uh, there was no way that I was going to be able to do it myself. And uh, I reached out to many different places. Uh, TAPS was the, the one place that when I saw the brochure that my, my um, casualty assistance officer gave me, I looked at the brochure and it said on there, remember the love, celebrate the life, and share the journey. Yes. When I, when I saw that, it resonated with me, and I picked up the phone and I called. And sure enough, the, the people that I spoke to on the phone were so um, engaging. They, they, I could feel that they were there with me, that they felt my pain and that they understood it. And that, that was truly the only, the only group of people that I had found that was able to get me. Um, and then I went to one of their seminars out in Colorado Springs in, um, it was a suicide uh, survivor seminar, and everyone I met uh, was just amazingly comforting to me. Uh, it was, I felt like I had found a new family. So, um, yeah, that, uh, they, we do it right. I can say we do it right because I, I uh, have since uh, joined the ranks of TAPS. Um, through my healing, uh, I felt the need to give back, and uh, and that's how I I became uh, a, a member of the TAPS family. Don, I just wanted to uh, just be sh- uh, clarify here that the casualty assistance officer was that with the military? Then that's that is a person who made an effective connection for you. Yes, he um, he dropped, uh, and this, he was part of the Navy, um, and he showed up the day after Joshua died uh, to an- announce to me that you know he had died. But I already knew that, so um, but he uh, you know was there to help me to assist me with um, what uh, what I needed to do as a surviving father, and. Um, he left me with a whole bunch of uh, brochures of different places that I could reach out to for help. Um, and uh, what um, TAPS is doing currently, yes. we, have, um, we have agreements with every branch of the military, with the exception of the Army, uh, to actually take over for the casualty assistance officers of each branch um, they'll introduce us um, to the families, and there's a memorandum of agreement that we then uh, will take over and assist them with uh, with the things that they need to know, uh, because it is uh, it's very daunting. The mm-hmm. everything you know, there's no need to know it until you need to know it. Right. So that, that's where tax comes in. Well, that's that's good to know then that there is the 
a real jump on uh, providing that connection as soon as possible. It's a it's a marvel. So there there is a major inroad the military is making in in uh, supporting survivors uh, survivors of, of suicide in the in the military. So I I want um, uh, to in keeping this uh, deeply personal here. I there is a structural matter that you brought up as we were preparing for this interview that uh, amidst these suicides occurring, there is a very dicey dynamic between the parents of the person who's taken their life and the, usually it's the wife, it's, sometimes I guess it's a, 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 a husband, but uh, there that relationship is, it's a very tricky one with the a blame that might be assigned to the other. I would like uh, for you uh, to have an opportunity to say uh, how you were uh, you were able to um, work out what was a, a it was a complicated uh, arc on, upon which Joshua's wife was on um, after his suicide occurred. Sure, um, my daughter-in-law and Josh actually never had an opportunity to live together um, with his. Uh, Getting out of the Navy shortly, we, we anticipated he would be out um, before his daughter would, was even going to be born. Um, but, you know, because of um, things that occurred, uh, he was still in there. In any case, um, um, they never got a chance to live together. Uh, and my daughter-in-law took it very hard as as many surviving spouses do, yes. and I'm sure that there were all kinds of um, things going on with her guilt and, and shame and um, just, you know, a sense of deep loss and, and anger, you know, because she was looking forward to him coming home. Um, and so she struggled and had a lot of personal struggles herself. And something that TAPS taught me, um, because I had heard through many um, other surviving parents and surviving spouses that there there were there was a lot of tension that that goes on because there's a blame game that can that can happen. Well, I knew I knew that it wasn't um, Leslie's fault at all that Joshua um, took his life. And so I just had to be patient with her, and I, I was. I was very patient. I let her know that I loved her and that, you know, she just needed some time and she needed to work through her grief. And initially she, she made some bad choices um, working through that grief, but once she got to a point, and probably, you know, her lowest point, she realized that, she was throwing her life away, and she then started dealing with her grief. And we have a wonderful relationship now, and, and I'm just so thankful for that. Um, our families have gotten tighter um, and uh, stronger, and, you know, I, I have a granddaughter um, who reminds me every day uh, of her father, and mm. that's a beautiful relationship. Um, so I'm, I'm very thankful and blessed. And, and I feel like Joshua uh, has left 
me and, and my family with the gift of uh, Leslie, Jaden, and, and their family. A very deep connection with all yes. the, the survivors. And I, I, I really do honor that, and I'm so glad that listeners have had a chance to hear this account along with all the chapters of your surviving Joshua. I'm, I wanted to give you a chance here as we're closing to talk about the essence of TAPS. Uh, as you mentioned to me in preparing for the interview, too, that there aren't necessarily chapters throughout the country. What How TAPS is getting this important job done is by matching peer with peer to, to deal with the grieving. So it's, a, it's the branch is a matched at the branch of the person um, who um, took their own life, the branch, it's the relationship to that person, sur- the, sur- the survivor's relationship, uh, that is also matched in the TAP connections that are made. So, And you are coordinating that peer matching and peer mentoring uh, in TAPs, and it's, uh, it's, there, there is nothing more, more uh, um, elegant and effective in, in making... Um, Make helping others in their recovery. It's uh, can you talk a little bit more about that, maybe in some detail? Sure. Uh, Bonnie Carroll, the founder of of Taps, nineteen years ago, um, found out that there really wasn't enough support for uh, surviving spouses. Her husband died in a in a uh, helicopter accident. He served in the Alaska National Guard, and there were other uh, men that died in that same helicopter, uh, and Bonnie and those surviving spouses got together to support each other, and she found that that truly was the best source of support. So she modeled TAPS after the support that she received. Yes. And, um, and it has just been proven over and over again that you know, how can somebody that has not experienced this type of loss, how can they understand and know uh, what I'm experiencing? So that's that's where the beauty of TAPS comes in because we are matching people that have similar circumstances. And it may not always be the, the same branch, but uh, we do um, generally match the relationship of the deceased and the the cause of death as well. Um, suicide survivors are are in need of other suicide survivors. Um, if they're combat uh, deaths, combat related deaths, it, it's helpful to have a combat related death person that has experienced that that loss too. You know, the geographically uh, it's helpful, but it's not necessary. To be close um, because of of how we uh, do our peer mentoring, it, it truly is um, it's magical. It's healing for both the mentee and the mentor. Um, the mentor to be able to give back and and help somebody support somebody that um, at, because they've had that support from someone else. And it, all of that that is given from the mentor to mentee. It's all coming through with 
such a profound clarity with you on the program today. I want to give listeners an opportunity to seek out uh, the resources available. It's at taps.org. There is a number 1-800-959-TAPS. That's the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. Provides free peer-based emotional support groups seminars and retreats for adults and also a good grief camp for children well i i there are other messages i would like to have covered today and i'm so sorry there is not more time i've run over as it is don lipstein i want to thank you very much and may i say really with all the earnestness i can muster it's an honor and a privilege to have you on the show with your inestimable clarity for us, your profound understanding for all survivors. I wish you, Don Lipstein, all the best and our heartfelt sympathies to the Lipsteins, all of you. Claudia, thank you for having me on. I'm very grateful to you and and what you're doing. Thank you, and I hope that maybe there will be yet another opportunity for some specific questions. I know from listeners I'm going to get some. I can't take calls in, but we will. Um, I'd like to hold open a, a prospect of talking with you again, Don. Take care. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to conclude with Bill Beach's Dreams Deferred, and we will um, see you, listen to you, talk with you next week. Uh, George Rosales is up next with George Hadahat. Thank you again for listening.